guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. These readings today, in particular the first reading, really does sum up some of the challenges of what it means to be a priest in the, uh, in the 21st century, let alone what it means to be a prophet in the 4th century BC. Prophet Ezekiel, actually much earlier than that even, Prophet Ezekiel talking about being sent, right? the Lord speaking to him and sending him to preach his word to a people who has rebelled, heart of face and obstinate of heart. This is, in many ways, part of the life of those who listen to God's call. To be sent to call rebels back to faithfulness and to obedience. Certainly something that is a part of every priest's life. And I would say by extension, in light of our prophetic calling in Christ, it's part of every Catholic Christian's life. As soon as we profess our allegiance to Christ, what happens is that we're caught up into his mission, we're caught up into the mission of the church, which is to preach the message of repentance to a people hard of face and obstinate of heart. We face that in our culture today. And in, and in many ways, some of the forms of rebellion, the forms of obstinacy, of hardness of heart, deeply influence even members of the church, even priests. Oftentimes we're on the receiving end or need to be on the receiving end of that call to be converted back into faithfulness. Now, of course, I could go down the list of many, many things that probably many of us would recognize as obvious forms of departure in our culture today from obedience to God. But I think even more subtle and, and more dangerous is a form of obstinacy, which I would call cheap grace. I've preached about this before, I've talked about this before. It's a phrase that I picked up from, from the great Lutheran martyr, who's also a theologian in the middle part of the 20th century, who died in the concentration camps of Hitler's Third Reich, a martyr to the truth. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he, he spoke about the need to be on, on guard against this subtle form of rebellion, this subtle form of hardness of heart. You could call it many things. You could call it relativism or sentimentality or moralistic therapeutic deism. All big words, but they boil down to one basic idea, and that's that grace and mercy are cheap. What does this manifest itself as? A general sense in a culture that has lost the, the real devotion to, to, the, to the mercy of God that's been won for us, the victory over death that has been achieved in Christ's paschal death and resurrection. It's the sense, well, you know, good people go to heaven when they die. It's just the way things work. What is the gospel? The gospel, you say? Well, just don't be a jerk. Just don't be a jerk. It's fine. Well, that sense of a kind of broad, 
an easy way to the kingdom of heaven, Christ warns us against many times. Enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate, he calls to us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer cautioned against this 20 centuries later as a disciple of that same master. He defined cheap grace as the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is baptism without church discipline or participation. Cheap grace is communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross. Ultimately, it's grace without Jesus Christ. I think Bonhoeffer was onto something. We hear that. We feel that. It's the air we breathe. We find ourselves hesitant to say the name of Jesus in polite company. To talk about who, are, who we are as Catholics, even with family members, to acknowledge the fact that, well, you know, it isn't just about whatever makes you happy. Only God makes you happy. To find our happiness in some creature, well, that's a fool's errand. It'll never work. And it's not loving to say, well, whatever makes you happy. We find ourselves on the defensive. We find ourselves making excuses or rationalizations for things that we know deep down don't lead to the truth, don't lead to happiness, don't lead to the kingdom of God. And so we become, you could say, spiritually flabby, too comfortable. We simply feel as if, well, all this God stuff, all this God talk, all this mercy, it's really just dressing up a simple fact, you know? Don't be a jerk. But of course, Christ didn't come for that. The gospel is that Christ came to invite us into repentance and to be made new. To go from being fallen creatures bound by slavery to sin into new life, a life that lasts forever and cannot be taken away. Cannot be taken away by death itself. When we slip into that spiritual flabbiness, we realize this gospel can't save anyone from sin. In fact, it seems to confirm us in sin. Our second reading today speaks about the need, the need to be cured of a spiritual flabbiness. And it's a, it's a puzzling thing that St. Paul talks about in that second reading today. It's, one of, I think, one of the most important things that he was ever inspired to write. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, St. Paul says. The greatest apostle right, to ever live, a man who sacrificed his entire life after a radical conversion to discover the truth of the risen Jesus, meeting him face to face, and then dedicating his life amidst great suffering, great deprivation to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, right? to the whole Roman Empire, to the whole world. 
He was given a thorn in the flesh, an angel of Satan, to keep him from being too elated. And after being obviously in turmoil about this, begging the Lord to take it away. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. We don't know. He doesn't say. But it was obviously something that distressed him enormously. Made him feel weak. God said to him, that's exactly how I want you to feel. Because my power is made perfect in weakness. That's what kept St. Paul spiritually fit, you could say. Kept his eyes fixed on the Lord, pleading for his mercy. Because St. Paul probably would have been tempted to be proud. Look what I've done for the Lord. Look how many souls I brought to Christ. But that he would avoid being too elated. The Lord permitted him to be, to be humiliated in this way. In order that the power of Christ would dwell in him. That's a mysterious thing. Because you and I, I think, we often find ourselves in that same position. Why is this happening to me? Why is this, why is this thing still with me after all these years? Why am I still unable to conquer these problems in my life? I want to be done with them. If you've been following Christ for any period of time, you'll have that thought. And Christ says to us, good. Keep relying on my grace, not on your own strength. Stay open to my mercy. Continue. Fix, fix your eyes on me. Continue to plead for my mercy. That will open up all sorts of things in your life that you never would have been able to receive had you been virtuous on your own power. And so St. Paul gives us an example. I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships persecutions for the sake of Christ for when I'm weak it is then that I'm strong that key phrase for the sake of Christ contains that whole mystery for Christ is a good Lord and a master he does not allow us to suffer these things purposelessly can I give you an example from Johnny Cash trying to work him in every single homily this year. You all know that song, A Boy Named Sue. You know that song? It goes back a few years. I don't know who wrote it. I think it was Shel Silverstein, actually, that wrote it, but Johnny Cash sang it. And if you're not familiar with the story or the song, look it up. You can, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. It's a story of a young man named Sue, as in Susan, right? The most feminine name you could probably give a child. And he grows up miserable. His dad abandons him when he's very young. And you can imagine in days gone by, what a boy named Sue, how he would have been treated on the playground, in the neighborhood, not getting picked for teams. I don't want to play on Sue's team, right? And then older, getting roughed up and beat up and bullied, made fun of. And he has a lot of anger inside. And he's set... He set his sights on tracking down his old man and finding him and just, and just pummeling him. Why did you do that to me? Why did you do that to me? 
Of course, you know how the story ends. He finds his dad in some saloon. He drags him out into the street, and they're just clocking each other, throwing haymakers, rolling and kicking and gouging in the mud and the blood and the beer, I think is one of the lines of the song. And finally, after they're too tired to keep on fighting, what, what does his dad say? Look, son, I knew I wasn't going to be there to help you grow up strong, so I gave you that name. So I gave you that name so you would be strong. You would have to fight for your place in this world because this world's a tough place. It's not an easy place to get by. And I knew if you started out fighting, you'd make it. Well, if a alcoholic deadbeat dad can figure that out for his children and make provision for them that they can grow and mature in the strength and the virtue that they need in order to in order to be the person they were created to be, how much more should our Heavenly Father, perfect, the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning, can provide for his children in the midst of their sufferings that it would work out for the good? How much more should we trust our Heavenly Father when we find ourselves in a position to say, why did this happen to me? Why is this going on? Why am I still fighting with this? after so many years, to say, I'm content with this. I am even thankful for it. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I'm content for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, it is then that I am strong. This is the vision of faith. This is what it means to have a supernatural perspective. This is what it means to see the world through the eyes of Christ. And we beg our Lord for that gift of faith. It's not a guarantee. In other parts of the gospel, Jesus asks, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? As if to imply there's a real possibility that he won't. There won't be anyone who can see with the eyes of Christ. There won't be anyone who can, who can take on that easy and light yoke and carry it for the sake of Christ. One of the best ways that we can find waypoints, signposts along our journey that help us receive these gifts, to receive these sufferings and crosses in faith is to be rooted in our past, our spiritual heritage, and above all, in the lives of the saints. The saints are given to us as, as visualizations, as people who, who have lived out the, for the whole of their lives this mystery and have become, they have, they've received their reward. They have achieved the victory in Christ, that his power has at last been made perfect in weakness. For those of us who are presently living, we don't know how it's going to end up for any one of us, do we? But the saints, we know they made it. That's why I don't like watching television shows, those long arcs that go four, five, six seasons. I don't, I don't like watching them until I know the ending, because I've been caught, you know. There's some, there's some series that end really poorly. I think Lost was one of the most famous ones. If you watch Lost, everybody was angry about that ending. <laughs> I was watching this for six seasons. And what? That's the ending? Wait till it's over. And everyone says, amazing, amazing series. And the ending is fantastic. Right? That's what we do with the saints. <laughs> we wait so that we know this story is worth following to the end. If we don't maintain a connection to our past, to our spiritual heritage and the examples of the saints, 
we start to lose our bearings. We become spiritually flabby again. In the church, we can be subject to the same forces that, that cause us to be too fascinated with the present moment, the present fads, the present fashions, and, and acquire a kind of indifference about the past. When we ignore our past, however, we can't stand tall because we need the deep roots of history to anchor us, to anchor us against the winds that blow, the winds of doctrine that distract and discourage. We need to listen to those earlier voices so that we can be enriched and broadened and corrected when necessary. So can I suggest to you some summer reading? It's a great way to get to know the saints. It's too hot to be out in the yard. It's too hot to be out. Don't forget about that. Just get, get a glass of iced tea. Go sit out on the porch and, and, and get a good book. I've got some suggestions for you. Mother Teresa wrote a book, well, wrote letters that were later published as a book, The Private Writings of the Saint of Calcutta. You know Mother Teresa almost as a, a kind of cliche for someone who's living a, a holy life. But what isn't so well known is the fact that she carried in her spiritual life a great burden, a great sense of distance from God, a desolation. And she wrote about this, puzzled by it, Discouraged by it, she wrote about it to her spiritual director, and their correspondence was, was collected and later published. It's a glimpse at the heart of a saint, a real saint, someone who was faithful to the very end, who persevered in the midst of discouragement and darkness, serving in the most desolate conditions possible. Her story, her letters, her perspective can enrich and broaden and allow our roots to grow. If we turn back the clock a little further to the earlier part of the 20th century, one of my favorite little books, look how, look how skinny this little book is. The book, the story is uh, Blessed Miguel Pro by Tan Books, uh, written by Ann Ball. It's a story of one of the 20th century's uh, most important martyrs. Father Pro was a, I've talked about him before, I'm sure I've, I've mentioned his story, but he was a, a martyr, a Jesuit, who died in 1927 in Mexico. Uh, killed by firing squad by the government of Mexico who had outlawed Catholicism. And his death transformed the whole history of Mexico. I would say the whole history of, of Catholicism in the 20th century in North America. But I find very few people know that history or even know who he is, including many of the Mexican people who, who I work with. This is a story that is fascinating, well told, and inspiring. Someone who gave his life died at the age of 32 for Christ willing to lay down his life in total trust. Turn back the clock a little more, deeper into the soil of our spiritual heritage. This is one of my favorite stories of saints. It collects stories of four of them. It's called Stages on the Road by Sigurd Unset. It's published uh, earlier, but, uh, excuse me, earlier in the century, but tells the story of St. Angela Marici, who was an Italian saint in the 18th century, the first to start schools for girls. Not just schools for girls in, in the Catholic Church, just the first to educate girls, period. It was a Catholic saint, a champion of the woman's movement. The story of Robert Suttle, a Jesuit martyr who died um, not long after setting foot on 
England's soil as a Catholic priest and was martyred by Queen Elizabeth's purge of Catholicism in that country in the late 16th century. And several other saints, a beautifully told introduction to the history of those times and how they lived out in very different and challenging circumstances that spiritual vision. And we can go even further back. This one I would highly recommend, uh, a shorter book and even more well-told, even more of a kind of adventurous story. It's the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness by Warren Carroll. That little book I don't have with me because I've lent it out so many times. Um, somebody's reading it right now. But it's the story of what the first Spanish colonists found in the Aztec Empire, the religion that was enslaving and oppressing the Mexican natives here in this continent, the cannibalism and human sacrifice that devastated their populations, how they were delivered from that terrible oppression and darkness of false gods and demons, and how the tender call of Our Lady spoke to St. Juan Diego to invite those people into fellowship in Christ. It's a military history, a spiritual biography, and a hymn of praise to Mary, all wrapped up into one. A beautiful thing, a beautiful book to meditate on and send down our roots deeper into the soil. Whatever the case may be, however we find that connection to our spiritual roots, let's pray today for the faith, that gift that will allow our hearts to come alive again, to see even our sufferings and deprivations, our disappointments and our setbacks as reasons to be grateful. For in our weakness, we are strong. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.